Don't let the noise bury the lead. I'm your host, Tom Frank. Join me on Into Focus as K-Global brings you one smart take on a major communication story from the week that was. We read between the lines so you don't have to and unpack the strategy or lack thereof behind the news. America averted a debt crisis for now. For us, the most compelling part of this game of political brinksmanship was watching the negotiators walk a messaging tight wire where a single misstep could have spilled economic doom. Hello, I'm Ian Cunningham, your host this week. Tom Frank is on assignment. Joining me are two of my fellow top-notch strategists, Sam Santorelli and Colton Long. Sam, I'm going to let you take the first swing. This has been tough messaging for both the Speaker and the White House. Which side do you think spent most political capital into achieving this compromise? It's weird because I think we're in this new era where it's really hard to judge certain things because the normal standards of judgment, you know, the, the mm. calibrating the yeah. scales, it's it's not clear what they are anymore. So, you know, in a traditional sense, I think the Democrats would say that they spent more capital, or I think you could say the Democrats spent more capital than the Republicans did. But in, in the modern sense, it's like whatever anyone says to their base, for the most part, then seems true. Now, that's more on the Republican side and less on the Democratic side, but both sides are going to claim victory and both sides are going to be given credit for victory. And the other sides are going to say the opposite. And it's just, it's hard to, to gauge. So you're saying it's like an asymmetrical game. Both sides are playing their own game. Right. Well, and what do you think about that? Or well, and, and just like the founders really wanted compromise. You read the Federalist Papers, like they really, you know, this whole structure of government is uniquely positioned to force compromise. And, you know, these Biden and the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, which is a constitutional offer, they came together and they made a compromise. And it's good. Like, you know, some sides, both sides have to give. And that used to be compromise used to be good. And now it's bad. Mm. Actually exciting that they were able to come together and make a deal and compromise and each give some. And you're like, yes, gosh darn it. That's the way it's supposed to be. So Colton, what do you think about that from your perspective? Generally, Ian, I would say that that may not be the right question to ask because I'm not sure, like Sam said, in this day and age, the old standards still apply. And I'm not sure that either side really won in terms of who expended more political capital or not. Like Sam said, again, they're going to message to their bases. So I think there are maybe better questions to ask to tease out the repercussions of the whole situation. So what would you ask? I would more ask who who successfully messaged the best to their bases and also independence, because, you know, in terms of Biden's reelection next year and in terms of McCarthy trying to, to keep his ne very narrow majority, independence in a lot of Biden won districts that were won by Republicans last year, independence would decide a lot of those House races not even to mention the presidential race or the Senate, whoever was able to reach those independents and their bases would be the, the true winner. Mm -hmm. so that's a hard question to answer too, because it's hard to tell at this point. 
Right. We just don't have the perspective yet because we're still early in the election cycle. But like going to you know, Speaker McCarthy, I guess it's sort of two questions. You know, he's, he's claimed like a massive Republican victory on this. Uh, is there any merit to that? Or I mean, is he just trying to save his job as speaker or is he trying to set the stage for the election coming forward where you can kind of message to independents and people who will vote? He has multiple audiences. He's got to say one thing to the super disruptors in his own party. And then he's got to say something to the, you know, what is now considered normal Republicans in his party. And then he's got to say something to the American people, because he is the Speaker of the House. And then he's got to say something to independents or people that he thinks, you know, can come over to the Republican side in an election. So he's got different audiences. And if you're a good politician, not a quality person necessarily, but a good politician, you can say the right thing to the right audiences. And he is very skillful at that. Now, the audiences, I don't know how much they believe him anymore because he is a pretty craven guy, but he is saying the right things to the right audiences. To jump off of that, so like to the, when he took the, the contours of the deal to the caucus, he said Democrats got not a thing from it, said Jeffries, you know, the House Minority Leader told him that Democrats got nothing. That's what McCarthy said to his caucus. What he said to the press was that nobody got everything they wanted. But I think Sam has a good point because I was actually in a focus group a couple weeks ago with a number of Republicans, Democrats, independents, and across the board, even the Republicans, even those you might call the Trumpian Republicans, none of them, even the establishment Republicans, nobody thought very highly of Kevin McCarthy. So he might be good at messaging to these audiences or saying what they what he thinks they want to hear, but they may not be receptive to him because it's him. So do you think there's something to be said about um, if he's sort of saying, and Sam, jumping off your point, that he can say kind of the right thing to the right audience, those might be different things and are maybe politicians and you know people of note at this point in time, trusting that those groups don't pay attention to what's being messaged to the other groups? You know, are we so echo chambered that McCarthy can speak to the press and say one thing yes. and then speak to his caucus and say another? To totally. My, I mean... This is anecdotal, but you know, my dad is a longtime Washington lawyer, still practices law. He was saying that there was a young associate in his firm from Wyoming, you know, lives in DC, works in DC, reads multiple periodicals, watches different news channels, and, and generally has his finger on the pulse. The associate said that when he went home for Christmas break, this was like during the Trump administration, during impeachments, specifically it was during the uh, impeachment around the Phone call, the, the phone call with mm -hmm. the Ukrainian president. So he went home and hit, in Wyoming, his family, they never heard any elements of the conversation. They didn't know anything about the details of the impeachment. It, they just knew what Fox News had been or the conservative TV stations had been telling. And he came back to D.C. and was like, I was shocked because they can support the president. They can you know, they're entitled to their view, but like they literally didn't even know that he had asked to provide some information about the Biden family, which, you know, it's just a fact. You can agree with it or disagree, but that, I mean, the, on the principles of asking, but that is an actual fact. And he said he didn't, even, his family didn't even know that that had happened. And so 
these audiences, if you speak to them through their channels, mm-hmm. they can actually then just. There's no danger of somebody. There's no danger of saying, oh, well, McCarthy said this to this person and this, this, because it's like, A, they're not, en- most people aren't that engaged. And B, they don't hear it from anywhere else. It's not like, you know, 20 years ago, it was like, if you were on Meet the Press and you were interviewed and you said something, it's like, man, everybody mm-hmm. heard it. And there's no other place where you can say something else. And so it was like the one place where you would say something. Now you can say many things to many audiences and almost all of them don't know that you said something differently to somebody else. I would also add, going back to your point, Ian, about what's, I guess, some asymmetry is that it's not exactly the same on the right and the left as in on the left, a lot of Democrats slash liberals still pay attention to more mainstream news outlets. If CNN, NBC, CBS, and all those stations run, you know, bevy of very negative articles about Biden, that seems to show up in the approval ratings. So I think a lot of liberals do tend to pay more attention to a more diverse array of news sources, but the right especially has become so siloed in terms of the media they consume I very much doubt that they would even see any counter messaging from McCarthy at any point. So it sort of sounds like going into this election, a lot of the messaging for both sides is going to have to be, if they want to like, you know, move the needle, uh, targeted at that middle margin of independents, swing voters, whatever you want to call them. How best do they cut through that either side? Is is there a way that they can really cut into some of those silos? I would say it's it's almost somewhat. It can be easier for Democrats in terms of who they're messaging to and how they're messaging. The mainstream media very much so wants to keep things as they see it fair and balanced. I think sometimes that can lead to them creating equivalencies when they shouldn't. But Republicans have an easier time, I think, you know, messaging to their base because it's more siloed. They, especially these days, have a harder time with independence just because of, in my opinion, a lot of the policies that they've embraced, especially over the past few years, some of the figureheads of their party. So Republicans might have an easier time with their base, but harder harder in the middle. And I think Democrats have a harder time with their base because of how Democratic Party is a coalition, mm-hmm. you know, of different groups, interest groups, in a way the Republican Party is less so. So I think Democrats have a harder time with their base, but an easier time with, with independents, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and Biden, he's been around for a long time. And he is, you know, if you would look at him as his fan of his career, he is no like liberal. He is right. a moderate. And he's a guy who also just is a creature like an old fashioned creature of the Senate where he wants to make a deal. He's willing right. to give up this for that and shake hands and be like, you know what, we there was a problem. And I didn't like 100% solution you didn't but we knocked it out. And if now that's him. And he's old, just like my dad, like all the people my dad worked with, they're all dead now. (laughs) It's like (laughs) Biden had surrounded by young people who are not creatures of the Senate and not from that old school tradition. And so if they, if his staff, his campaign staff, if they allow the independent voters to see glimpses of that, Mm -hmm. while also him staying true and make sure that the many components that make up the base, Colton, you're right about that. It's like, Right. Democratic base, it's hard to say that's the base. The base is like five different sub bases that make a base. If they 
if he can, if they can do that, give Biden different look to different cons- the two different kind of constituencies, the bases and independents. That is a good case to make because it's authentic. On the Republican side, it's just, you know, there are there's a silent majority of Republicans who just put up with shit, and then or with stuff, excuse me. And then there is a whole con- faction that is like literally chaos. You know, they're like nihilists, like they don't care if stuff breaks and they actually want it to break. And it's like they're, you know, to quote gold member, there is no pleasing you, you know. Well, I mean, there is it does seem like there's a strong part of that side of it. I'm not even kind of want to say it's like Republicans, but some people just kind of want to watch the country get into a fight. Right. And this coming election sort of put on your uh, future goggles and take a look like are we going into a position where this coming election could just be seen and viewed as like a internal not a civil war but like a internal fist fight you know you and your brother like you know just slugging it out over who gets to play with the legos today yeah i mean especially if it's trump and biden because it is a you know there's scores to settle seen this before you know two entrenched sets of ideas where your fight, you're relitigating the past. Those are the more brutal fights as opposed to let's fight about the future of the country. It's harder to, it's a different kind of fight. It won't be a healthy fight. It might be a healthy bloodletting, but I don't think it'll be a healthy fight. Yeah, the spinoff of what Sam said there is if you're a Republican and you, you, you know, Biden, Biden you know, is up there in age, some people, you know, ding him for that. He's admitted that's something that people will use against him. If you're a Republican and you want to probably maximize your chances of winning, you would say, let's make the generational argument. Let's say, let's look ahead. Let's look to the future. Let's get someone young out there to show the biggest contrast we can with the incumbent. And that's some of the argument for DeSantis' campaign. I don't know how well his team has really, in terms of messaging, made that argument. Now, I personally believe that we're going to have a repeat of 2020. I said that to people a month after the last election, and they got a little upset about it, but I still believe it's going to be Trump v. Biden. And they can't really make that argument about generational change and a new face on the right if Trump is their nominee, because Trump has never been future-looking. He's always been mired in the past. To loop back to your question, Ian, yeah, it's going to be a fight. The crazy thing about, I mean, we start talking about the debt ceiling. And the debt ceiling in a, in a, in the past and in, in a normal Congress, you know, House of Representatives, Senate, like it's a procedural thing. And obviously our country, since Alexander Hamilton's decided, you know, there will be a national debt. That's a good thing. Um, and it's, you have to extend credit so that you can right. continue operations and maintain your credit. The people who are fighting over the debt ceiling, you know, a lot of the Republican, the Matt Gates of the world, the guys who were trying to block McCarthy's speakership, part of the, the things that they were talking about were like, we need to go back to having committee chairmen who actually run their committees. We're not like, we don't want to be doing these omnibus bills where, mm-hmm. you know, every committee's budgets and policy and everything are wrapped into one bill that you get to read in one night. They're, they're actually 100% right about that. Now, mm-hmm. doubt their intentions are 100% good in terms of like, that's what they were fighting about. Right. But I used to work with Capitol. There was a time when committee chairman, man, they took that job seriously. 
in the Senate and in the House. I mean, there's a nuclear aircraft carrier called the Carl Vinson, and everyone's like, "Who the hell is that?" It's like he was the chairman of the he was the of the defense um, the defense committee in the House for yeah. like 50 years. Yeah, and he took his job very seriously and got a bill out. You know, Senator Harry Byrd was a big segregationist, but he got the civil rights bill out of his committee onto the floor because even though he was going to vote against it, he was like, that's my job. I take my job seriously. And so we shouldn't even be having these fights about the debt ceiling. The fight should be in committees about what the policies are and what the budgets are. And then you vote on each one. You look at each one. And that's how you can actually get control of like spending. Spending cuts based on the debt ceiling is not the way to do it. And so it's just the irony is all these guys who want to create chaos, a lot of the things that they wanted from the speaker are actually good things. Kind of ironic. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, any final president. thought? Right now. <laughs> Ooh, that's a that's a tough one. Um, but yeah, uh, Colton, any final thoughts before we wrap up for the day? I would just say we should be happy that Biden and McCarthy were able to come to an agreement in the absence of that. Um, I shudder to think of the economic uh, consequences. Fair enough. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. After negotiations concluded, the media consensus began to solidify. President Biden and the Democrats got a better end of the deal, though neither side emerged with total victory. Though it wasn't the only factor in play, the messaging discipline displayed by the White House allowed Kevin McCarthy to ward off outcries from his right flank and whip the necessary votes for passage. The speaker himself walked a narrow line by insisting that he successfully negotiated an agreement with zero Democratic victories, even if he did later admit to the press that the bill didn't get everything everybody wanted. Had either side slipped off the messaging tightrope, our economy would have likely plunged into chaos, and we'd be living in a vastly different world. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Please subscribe to Into Focus on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Give us your take on Instagram at kglobal.com. That's kglobal, D-O-T-C-O-M. And if you like the show, leave us a rating on Apple. Into Focus is brought to you by the good people at Kglobal. Unlike traditional marketing agencies that look at consulting, creative, and communications as distinct, Kglobal exists at the intersection of all three. The fusion of strategy and creative fuels unexpected solutions and better outcomes. The result is impact on your audience in a new market or over a policy. Learn more at kglobal.com. And until next week, I'm Tom Frank, and thanks for listening.